0: Um, so if you're just joining us, we are in week number two of a teaching series we started last week called uh, Shepherds and Kings. And essentially what we're going to be doing for the next several weeks is we're looking at the life of David. And if you don't know who David is, David was one of the most prolific kings in the, in the Old Testament of the Bible. And last week, if you were with us, we also talked about the fact that David is simultaneously also one of the most prolific sinners in the entire Bible and so there's a lot we can learn from David and from his story. And so today, the story we're going to be looking at is really, it's the first major leadership test of David's life. We saw last week in 1 Samuel 16 that his story began as, as Samuel anoints him as the next up-and-coming king of Israel. And so this story we're looking at today is the first real test of his leadership. And this story we're going to look at is actually maybe the most famous, well-known story in all of the Bible. Even if you didn't grow up in church, I bet you many of you still know this story. Maybe you don't know all the details, but even in the sports world, you've heard people talk about the David and Goliath matchup and that kind of stuff. And we're going to look this morning at the story, of course, of David and Goliath. And so uh, we're going to begin to just explore this story that's so well-loved in our culture, even outside of the church. And here's the thing. I think we love the David and Goliath story because all of us have a Goliath. Every one of us has a giant in our life that we have to defeat, and we need God's help to do it. Uh, Maybe for some of you in here, maybe your giant that you're facing is an addiction, and you battle it, and you need God's help. You need His intervention in your life to overcome it. Uh, Maybe for some of you, maybe it's, it's not an addiction. Maybe it's a giant that you carry around with you all the time because it's a forgiveness issue. You have these deep wounds from something that has happened in your life. And so for you, in order for you to move forward in life and move forward to the next phase, you have to battle the giant of forgiveness of this issue that's happened. Uh, maybe for some of you this morning, the giant you're facing is infertility. I mean, we come to a day like today, Mother's Day, where we're celebrating and thanking moms and we're so grateful for them. And yet for some of you, maybe today is just a reminder of what hasn't Happened yet for you, or what hasn't happened in your family? So the giant of infertility, you need God's help and His intervention in your family. Uh, Whatever a giant is, a giant basically is anything in our lives that infects our lives with fear and holds us back or keeps us from moving into what God has for us, His purpose for our lives. And so that's what we're that's what we're going to look at today. The other reason that I think we love the David and Goliath story is just that we're inspired by David. Really inspired by him. I mean, David didn't run out on the battlefield that day to survive Goliath. He didn't run out on the battlefield to like manage him or get better control over him. He went out there on the battlefield to kill him. And if there was ever a character in the Bible that needed some killing, it was Goliath. And so it happened like this. I'm going to say that the entire series, just so you know, prepare yourself for that. It happened like this. What what we know in the context of the David and Goliath story is that the Philistines originally were from the island of Crete. Sometime around the 11th century B.C., they began to settle on the, uh, the coast of Palestine, and they began to move their way across what is known as the Elah Valley. And their goal was very simple. They were on a military campaign moving across the Elah Valley, and their goal was to capture the mountain ridge near Bethlehem And split Saul's kingdom in two. King Saul, uh, the king of the Israelites, to split his kingdom in two. And here's the thing. If they had been successful at doing that, the Bible would look very different. Uh, There is no doubt if they had succeeded in that military campaign, they would have taken over the land of Israel, and they would have been very successful in overcoming their enemies. And so what happens is the Israelites realize the threat. King Saul recognizes the threat as the Philistines are moving across the Elah Valley. And so they go out with the army of Israel to confront the army of the Philistines. And so where they meet up is this place called the Elah Valley. And actually, first service, Eric Biganus and his wife were up here dedicating Judah. And these are actually Eric's pictures. Uh, He went to Israel several years ago. And this is an actual picture of modern day, the Elah Valley, the actual place where David and Goliath fought each other. And so this is from the northern ridge of the Elah Valley where the Israelites were standing. This was their view looking across to the other ridge across the valley. Go ahead to the next one. This would have been the Philistines' view, their view from the ridge looking down, looking across to the Israelites up on the other top of that ridge. And then if you go to the next one, this is the view from the floor of the Elah Valley. You can see kind of this dry riverbed there. Maybe that was the actual place where David picked up his five smooth stones. We don't know. But if you get a picture of this in your head, this is what it's like. There are these two ridges, and both armies kind of come and confront each other. They're both on either side of that ridge, and there's this valley between them. In order to attack the other side, you would have to descend down your hill and make the suicidal climb up your enemy's ridge, and so basically you have these two armies faced off against each other. Everybody knows a fight is coming. Everybody knows a fight is inevitable. It's going to happen, but nobody wants to make the first move. And that's where Goliath enters the story. This is 1 Samuel 17, verse 4. It says, Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken." So in this moment, what the writer does is they go into this great detail describing Goliath, this Philistine champion that's coming out and challenging the Israelites. And so we can learn a lot about what's the tension of this story and uh, really understand how big a deal this was from that description. First of all, Goliath is over nine feet tall. So I've got my ruler here that's over nine feet tall. Just the sheer physical intimidation of facing an enemy in hand to hand single combat against someone uh, that's this large would absolutely be terrifying. I mean, you can see standing next to me, a six foot tall man, how scary this would be. Okay, five foot nine, whatever. <laughs> I guess I can't deny it standing here. Um, you can see how absolutely terrifying, right? This would have been. This would have been, uh, nobody would, wanted to face a, a giant this large. But there's something else about the description that we're given of Goliath that reveals and gives us kind of a hint of something far more advantageous. The Philistines had a huge advantage over the Israelites, and we learn about it in the way they describe Goliath. And it's the far bigger advantage they had. And that advantage is the use of iron weapons. What we know is that the Philistines were iron-working masters. In fact... We think that it was the Philistines who introduced iron making into the Middle East, that they were the first to bring that. But instead of sharing their information of of iron making, instead of using it to trade and to build up, you know, the economy, they used it to make superior weapons. They had a huge technological and military advantage over all, anybody who would come against them because iron weapons were so superior. They could pierce through any shield. They were just superior weapons in the kind of military warfare they had back then. And and so if you can understand it, you've got this army that's coming against you, and they've got by far the most technical weapons the world has seen. They are a military superpower at this point. The army of Israel, on the other hand, does not know how to work with iron. And as it describes Goliath having... um, you know, uh, iron, he did all these iron weapons, an iron tip, spear, all these things, the way it describes the Israelites is it describes that they don't know how to work with iron. In fact, it's much worse than just they don't know how to work with iron. If you go back a few chapters in the book of First Samuel, this is First Samuel 13, listen to what it says. There were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. So that's how much control the Philistines already have in this area. So whenever the Israelites needed to sharpen their plowshares, picks, axes, or sickles, those are farm tools, just so you know, they had to take them to a Philistine blacksmith. So on the day of the battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or a spear except for Saul the king and his son Jonathan. So if you can get a picture of this in your head, the Israelites can't even sharpen their own tools. In order to actually sharpen their tools, they have to take them to Philistine blacksmiths who charge them a huge amount of money. And not only that, but it tells us that the only people on the day of this battle that actually had a sword... And actually, had a spear like fighting weapons were King Saul and his son Jonathan. So, So, if you can get a picture of this in your head, the Elah Valley, you have the army of Israel, which are basically just a bunch of farm boys standing there with their pitchforks, and they are going against a trained army, a military superpower with iron weapons. This is more than just an underdog fight, this is an impossible fight. There is no chance for the Israelites to succeed here. Their only hope is to, main, is to hold their ridge and maintain if, if the Philistines begin attacking them and hope that they can hold them off from taking over that ridge. That's their only hope, but they have no real chance in any kind of actual military victory here. That's the situation that David, the shepherd boy, walks into. It happened like this. <laughs> David is a shepherd boy, as we saw in the last chapter. He is at home tending the, the flock. And basically, David's father, Jesse, sends David to the front lines of battle to bring pizza. He's basically the pizza delivery guy for his brothers who are on the front line. Literally, it says he brings bread and cheese. All that was missing was the tomato sauce. He sends him to the front line of battle to give his brothers some bread and cheese. And we all kind of know the story from there. David decides, I'm going to be the one that goes down and confronts this giant because none of you are responding to the challenge. And so he refuses to take on Saul's armor and, and his sword and all that. And he refuses to, to deal with that. And so he picks up five smooth stones and he takes his shepherd's sling and he goes out in order to confront uh, the Goliath. Now, what Goliath was calling for here was something in the ancient world called single combat. And so two sides in a conflict would essentially... Um, uh, call for their greatest champions to come out and do a fight to the death, hand-to-hand, physical, close-quarter combat with each other. And then kind of the, the, the you know, end of the battle would be decided by this fight between these two armies if they were kind of at a stalemate. And so what Goliath is doing here in this moment is he's challenging for Israel to send out one man. He's expecting a champion like himself to come out. He's expecting a warrior to come out and face him close quarters, hand-to-hand combat until one of them is dead. That's what he's expecting. And so this is what happens, verse 41. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear... I'm sorry, I, I, feel, like, I feel like that's how I should read it. You, can, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. If we could today, I'd love to just kind of camp out on that phrase. This is the Lord's battle. I want you to write that down. This is the Lord's battle. In this moment, the key to David's victory, the key to understanding how this story unfolds and the significance of it, what it tells us about who God is, what it tells us about who he wants to be in our lives is understanding this line, this is the Lord's battle. David realized in this moment that the key to him winning this battle was not in fighting the way Goliath fights, but in fact, not in fighting at all. Not even attempting to fight. David recognized this battle that we're in. This is not my battle to win. This is the Lord's battle. This is God's battle to fight. What David was essentially doing in this moment is he, was, he wasn't comparing himself to the nine-foot-tall giant What he was doing was something completely different. He was comparing the nine foot tall giant to his God. As you think about the giant that you're facing in your life right now, whatever adversity it is, whatever it is that's infecting your life with fear and holding you back, are you comparing yourself to the nine foot tall giant? If so, you are overwhelmed, you're full of fear. You have anxiety that's just rising in you every single day? Or are you comparing your giant to your God? Which is bigger, your problems, your adversity, or is it your God? I love this line. Um, Go ahead to the next slide there. I want us to focus in on this idea that God has given you everything you need for victory except submission, I don't know what giant you're facing today. I don't know what it is that you're up against right now in your life. But here's what I do know about that giant. God has already given you everything you need for victory. He has. He already has won the battle for you. He already has what you need. He has given you already everything you need for victory in your life against that giant. The one and only thing he has not given you is submission. That's what you've got to bring to the table. Because of free will, that's what you have to bring to the battle, is your own submission to God, your own submission. To to get to this place where you say, this is the Lord's battle. This thing I'm facing is God's battle. I've heard the story told of a man who was going for a walk in the park. And as he was there in the park, he was confronted by a man with a mask. And the man had a knife. He cuts him, and then he takes all of his money. And so they rush the man to a hospital where they determine that he needs a surgery in order to repair the damage that's been done. And so they wheel him into the operating room, and he is immediately confronted by a man with a mask. And the man has a knife, and he cuts him, and then he takes all of his money, <laughs> so. which is how we know that story goes. One was there to hurt him. The other one was there to help him, right? It was there to heal him. Here's here's what we need to understand. If you will submit yourself to God in the midst of adversity, you may actually discover that the thing that you think is there to hurt you is actually God working in your life to move you forward, to heal you, to bring about victory in your life, and to launch you into the purpose that he has for your life. If If we would look at it and realize this is God's battle, If we would just be willing to submit ourselves in the midst of adversity, God, this is your battle. I'm not going to fight my way. I'm going to fight your way. I'm going to do this your way. I'm going to let you lead me. God, this is your battle. And just declare that. There is power when we declare this is God's battle. This is the Lord's battle. It's not mine to fight. And oftentimes we'll find that that giant, that thing in our lives that we are the most afraid of and that we are the most held captive by actually becomes the thing That becomes our greatest testimony. The thing that actually launches our lives forward into the future that God has for us. We know the rest of the David and Goliath story from here, don't we? David never actually faces Goliath in combat. He never actually fights him at all. He runs toward the battle line before Goliath is even within striking distance with a spear. David swings the sling, throws the stone, and hits him in the, the one place that would have been vulnerable in the Philistines' armor. right This spot right between his eyes. And the giant goes down. David runs up and cuts off his head with his own sword. And the armies of Israel rally. They go crazy when they see the giant fall and David cut off his head. The army of the Philistines, even despite their powerful weapons, they turn around and they bolt in fear when they see their champion go down. The army of Israel charges down the uh, the hill and they go after and they pursue and they rout the Philistine army. And it's, it's an impossible victory and somehow... They win it. But they don't win it, really. What we know is, the truth is, this was the Lord's battle to win all along. We know that part of the story. We know all that. Oftentimes, what we don't know is what happens next. This is 1 Samuel 18, the next chapter, verse 2. It says, "...from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully." So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. Oftentimes what we don't know is that this moment when David faced Goliath and killed him, that was the last moment that David was a shepherd boy in the story. He never goes back home after this. He never goes back to his father's land and is a shepherd again. This is the moment. Goliath was the encounter that in the, the eyes of the men and the eyes of uh, King Saul, suddenly David was a leader moving forward to his future. So the thing that was the greatest challenge, the thing that was the, the greatest fear in Goliath was actually the moment that God had appointed for David to begin to move him forward as the next king of Israel. And that's exactly what happens. Oftentimes, the giants of our lives are just that. When we compare ourselves to the giant, we shut down. It's a test of who we are. The giants in our lives oftentimes are, are a test And it's not a test of our strength. It's not a test of our power. It's not a test of our talent or our ability. It's a test of our submission. God, this is the Lord's battle. It's about me submitting myself. I will fight your way, God. I will do what you call me to do. This is the Lord's battle. He has to interact. He has to win it. I can't do it. And when we do that, we often find that the giants we face actually end up becoming The path to the thing that God wants us to move forward to in our lives. So, as we think about this story and this teaching, we think about what it says about God, about what it says about us, and we begin to turn this toward ourselves. Uh, The question I want us to wrestle with this morning is this question Where in your life do you need to declare, This is the Lord's battle? Where in your life right now do you just need to declare, This is the Lord's battle. Are are you in a place right now where you are completely overwhelmed? Are you in a place where you feel completely inadequate? And you are literally just thinking to yourself right now, what what am I going to do? You're comparing yourself to the nine-foot-tall giant, and you're going, what am I going to do? Where in your life right now do you need to declare this is the Lord's battle? Is Is it a job loss? And you're wondering what what you're going to do next. Maybe some of you, you just graduated from college. And congratulations, you just graduated and uh, now you have your degree in a mountain of debt. And it would be great if you had a job too, right? Wouldn't that be great? This is the Lord's battle. There's power in just declaring this is God's battle. I've got to follow him. I've got to submit myself to him in the midst of this. Are you wrestling through a diagnosis maybe? Of yourself or of a loved one, there's power. Trust me in declaring, "This is the Lord's battle." This is the Lord's battle. I can't win this. Are you kidding me? This is this is the Lord's battle. I begin to just submit yourself to Him in the midst of adversity. Raising children is the Lord's battle. This child dedication, what we just did when we had these families up here, the whole point of child dedication is declaring this is the Lord's battle. Raising kids is the Lord's battle. If you think you're in control as a parent, just wait till the teen years. (laughs) Trust me, you ain't in control. This is the Lord's battle. This is the Lord's battle. Where in your life right now do you need to just declare this is not my battle to win, this is the Lord's battle, and you need to step forward in faith, trusting him to win the battle for you. Uh, several years ago, um, this is actually in my first year or two as lead pastor of Frontline, uh, we had this experience. Um, there was a man who was in his 90s that was uh, actually, he was the father of a woman who attended our church. And so um, he would come every once in a while, but it was really his daughter who attended. And oftentimes when he would come, he had some failing health, so he was in a wheelchair. And uh, one day I get a phone call from his daughter, and she says, Hey, my dad's in the hospital. We think he's near the end. Would you be willing to just go visit him in the hospital and, and pray with him? And uh, at that time, now we have a lot of staff, and probably it wouldn't be me that would go and do something like that. But at that time, I, it was just a few of us on staff, and so I was the person who went. And I'll be very honest with you, I didn't really want to go. I mean, I didn't really know him that well, I didn't have much of a relationship with him. And, but it, because his daughter asked, I, I went. And so I went to the hospital, and uh, I went into the hospital room, and there he was. He's laying on his back, this older guy in his 90s, hooked up to the machines and everything. And so I began to talk with him and he was uh, lucid and awake and um, I just began to ask him, hey, do you know Jesus? Where are you with, with Jesus? And this is how he responded. He said, many, many years ago, I had a sister who died. She was young, in the middle of her life and she died. He said, at her funeral, we sang the old hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. Some of you know that hymn. You grew up singing it. He said after her funeral, for years I couldn't sing that song, What a friend we have in Jesus. So I couldn't even go into church. If I would go in anywhere in a church and they would start singing that song, he said I would literally have to leave. He said I was so bitter. I was so angry at God for what he did and for, for allowing her to be taken from me. And then he said this, But in my 90s, nowadays, I sing it every day as I wait for the reunion. And then in a moment, I will remember the rest of my life. This guy in his 90s, he begins to just sing it out loud. Like in between breaths, you know, with his voice barely more than a whisper. What a friend we have in Jesus. Everything to God in prayer. Wasn't long after that hospital visit uh, that he died. This guy passed away. Guess what hymn we sang at his funeral? At his 90s, what this guy realized was was the truth, the, the bigger truth of the story of David and Goliath. It's actually the bigger truth of the entire Bible. What he discovered, at least in his 90s, at the end of his life, is he discovered that it's actually all the Lord's battle. All of it. All of life. Every breath we take, every moment we live, it's all the Lord's battle. All my sins and griefs to bear. It's all his David had a descendant and his name was Jesus and Jesus faced down a much bigger giant than Goliath he faced down the giant of death the, the greatest giant that any of us ever face in this life and he defeated him on the cross and he, in his resurrection he's declaring that he's making all things new all things new all things new because it's all the Lord's battle The goal of all of life is to submit ourselves, to yield ourselves fully to God, to step forward in faith and say, God, it's all your battle. That's the secret of life. It's all his battle. The entire creation, it all is being redeemed. It's all his. So here's what I'd love to do. I don't know what hope you cling to in the midst of adversity. But just to ask that question, where some of you this morning... You need to just put a stake in the ground right now and you need to say, today is the day I declare this is the Lord's battle. And for some of you in this room, uh, you need to take that step to say, it's all the Lord's battle. I'm gonna trust Christ. I'm gonna trust Jesus with my entire life. I'm not gonna compare myself to the nine foot tall giants of life anymore and say, "I somehow within my own power, somehow I've gotta figure out how to win this. I'm gonna compare the giants that I face in this life to my God. It's his battle to win It's not yours and So would you do me a favor Would you stand in this place And would you bow your heads And let's just create Some holy space and Right now And for some of you Right now Would you just Right now Just be to declare With whatever giant it is That you're facing With whatever thing it is That you Has infected your life With fear and That holds you back Would you just Even right now Just be in declare, Lord this is your battle I submit myself to you I yield myself to you right now. I will fight the way you tell me to fight. I will live the way you tell me to live. I submit myself and yield myself to you. I trust you for the victory. If there's any of you in this room right now who you know you need to just surrender yourself fully to the love of God, you've not done that. Romans 10 says, if we believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead and if we confess with our mouths that he is Lord, we will be saved. So right now, if that's you, to say, Jesus, I confess you as Lord. I recognize that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I recognize that I can't fight the giants of my life, but it's your battle to win, God. And so now, I surrender myself to you. I give myself to you. Would you give me a new life in you? As you do that, what we believe is that you're stepping forward into a new life of faith, that you're being saved, that you're being... uh, redeemed by God who died on the cross for you and who rose from the grave to give you a new life. And so God, right now we just come before you boldly. Not boldness that comes from our own power, not boldness that comes from our own strength, but boldness that comes from our own submission to your power and your strength. We believe that you're big enough. We believe that you're powerful enough and so, God, would you begin to work? Would you begin to break strongholds, even in this place, God? Would you begin to break places in our lives where maybe we've been held back because we've been trying to do it, and this morning we yield ourselves to you? Would you begin to invade the places of our lives where we need your supernatural help? And would you begin to perform what only you can do in the battle, God? We just declare today that this is your battle. We declare today, God, that we will follow you, and we will submit to your ways. No turning back, God. No looking back. No going the other direction, but f- stepping forward in faith and trusting you. God, will follow you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Let's respond by singing.